Our series continues this morning, as, as you've heard, um, really illustrated through the Watts and, and Tim as he's led us in prayer, grow. And together with this uh, focal image of our live oak that, that is central to this campus, we're, we're using it um, and trusting that God would, would use it uh, to begin to shape us, uh, that we would look toward the end of this year and into the next year with a hope that as it grows, even in dormant seasons, that we would be about that growth as well. So today we're looking at the branches. And I'll go ahead and tell you, we're going to be mixing a lot of metaphors. So if, I, if, if we get a little bit confusing, I'll, I'll try to steer us back um, to, the, to the different branches and different things that we're going to be uh, talking about uh, this morning. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You're welcome to find your way uh, there now. But before you do, I, maybe you've, you've seen the, the, the terrible Allstate commercial uh, where, where you've got uh, the, the Allstate man, you know who I'm talking about, the voice is unmistakable. Uh, he's, he's playing the version of a cop, and, and he's next to another guy, and, 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 they, and, the, and the camera goes, and he begins to just rattle off, parrot, um, the, the taglines of Allstate Insurance. Maybe you've seen this. And they're like, cut, cut, stop. That's not your line. That's not your line. Paul is about to bring us to a situation where he is the director of the show, and he is clapping that cut in front of us. Maybe, maybe another sports image would work. The, the game is coming to an end, and there's an opportunity. Should we huddle up, call the timeout, and be brought together to be reminded of what we're trying to accomplish here? And actually, what I think is probably the, the easiest way to, to sort of approach this text is to think about a parent-teacher conference. You know about those? The parent-teacher conference? Well, Paul's going to be our teacher, and he's called a conference with us, uh, with the leaders of the church at Corinth and the people um, under them. And, and he's going to try to call a timeout so that together we might see the correction that God has for us. So as we lean into this, this scheduled meeting, let's listen in as uh, Paul describes uh, the, correct, the correction and encouragement that he has for us. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to begin uh, with verse 12. For just as the body is one and, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, 
giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, say what you say, do what you do, make us who you've called us to be, by your word right here, right now, in Jesus' name, amen. Here's the point, it's real snazzy, no it's not, the body of Christ needs chemistry, it needs chemistry, and no, I'm not talking about mitochondria, well, maybe that, that's biology, I'm not talking about um, chemical processes, though you could add that to the tree metaphor. I'm talking about relational chemistry. I'm talking about that zing factor that if you've seen Hotel Transylvania, you'll know what I'm talking about, and none of you have. It's the click. It's that thing that makes it work. You know what I'm talking about. And the point that Paul is making through verse 12, 14, 20, and 27, he says this all the time. You've got one body, multiple parts. One body, multiple parts. That you're one. Because the body of Christ needs chemistry. Paul is saying that one plus ten plus four plus six is one. This morning we're going to look at two dysfunctions that show up in, in this body that needs chemistry. And one, adaptive uh, behavior. So one, two dysfunctional behaviors, and finally, an adaptive behavior. So the body of Christ needs chemistry. But let, let's face it, we, we prefer independence over interdependence, right? Freedom, autonomy is the very lifeblood of the American experience. It's what it means to live in these states, and it has brought a lot of good. It's been great. But you see, Paul is addressing a church that um, Julius Caesar had, had planted in, in about 45 B.C. In, in, in a Roman colony. And then Paul is writing a letter after, about three years after he had planted that church there um, in, a, in, in about 55 A.D. Jesus has been raised about, about 20 years. And what they were struggling with, and you've heard this said before, is, is all these uh, cultural values. They were seeking to sort of marry with the gospel. And, and it doesn't mean that none of these cultural values were, were bad. It's just they began to see them on the same plane. And thus, they could only filter what was true when that value was alongside the good news about Jesus itself. And, and we were on that same risk today, Right? I mean, and I'm pointing that out to you. One of the values that, that we prize is that of freedom, and it's a good one. But when it comes to the body of Christ, that is a threat to the chemistry to which we've been called. It begins to seep into our gospel imagination, freedom, autonomy, and begins to pollute and taint the very uh, working relational body that we're called to be about. So I don't know in what ways you, you seek that out. Uh, we're all guilty of this. But that is the, that is the sort of driving edge that, that Paul is seeking to correct. 
And folks, I don't think there, there could be much of anything that's more applicable today. It's the same problem manifested in a different age, in a different time. So we're here at the parent-teacher conference, and we're learning that the body of Christ needs chemistry, despite our desire to be independent, to be separate, to be, as the Bible would refer to it, cut off. So the first dysfunctional behavior that we see here is here in uh, verse 14 uh, through about 17, and, and I think you heard it. Paul sort of rattles off these different um, hypotheticals that he's obviously heard. Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Because I'm not an ear, I don't belong to the body. You see, the first dysfunctional behavior of a body that's supposed to be um, connected and alive and, and working well is that the members begin to feel inferior. Right? This is the first painful alarm that, that would trigger on the body that all of a sudden people are starting to feel inferior. They're saying things like, you don't need me. And maybe you can relate. Maybe you can relate to this. But see, Paul goes right at it. He offers this hypothetical. He gives you your chance in court, and he just says exactly what is true right behind it. No, that's not true. That, that's how quick he is. That's how direct he is. And another way to say it is, your feelings about your inferiority are false. I don't know what's happened this week that uh, either a mistake you made or, or someone called something out on you or maybe even at, at work someone was just being constructive toward you. And you went from, man, I need to, I need to learn from this to, I shouldn't even work here. This is, I'm just terrible. I'm terrible at this. And maybe if you've got students, you've, you've experienced this even more as a parent where, where, where something happens um, during the day and, and they come home and you know, they look like you know, they're this tall because their, their entire spirit has been crushed. And you're like, what's going on? And they, and they recount the story. And you're thinking to yourself, that, that's just not true. Paul is that direct here. Many of us, some of us, even here in this room, we're finding ourselves to feeling inferior, that we think the gifts that God's given us, the, the, the ways that he's called us to live out our God-given identity and calling in this place to be lacking, to be not as important. And so the check engine light sounds. That's the third mixed metaphor. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Some of you enter a room and you say, who do I need to meet? And others of you enter the room and say, who do I need to avoid? I want to stay on the outside versus the one who can make it all the way around. And this is what's true about you and me. In almost every setting that we get in, even in this one, um, when you walk into the restaurant to eat, uh, when you get in line to pick your, your, your kid up from school, one of the things that naturally happens right away is you begin to compare yourself um, in a lacking way to someone else. I don't drive that car. Uh, man, Skyler stands up here. I, I sit in the sound booth. This is, this is what the inferior members begin to tell themselves, and they begin to compare. They begin to, be, they begin to say, I, I, you don't need me. I'm not, I'm not worth it. And the culture's solution to this is self-esteem. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you've heard that. But I'm here to tell you it doesn't work. <laughs> It doesn't work in the long run. 
a, a boost of a boost of uh, of, of feel good juice. Man, you, you need more than that. You've heard you've heard your pastor talk about a David would coach his soul. That is not a self esteem boost. That is that is naming what is true out of God's mouth to your heart. Paul is saying you want to live on a three legged stool because you feel inferior. And he doesn't even, I'm spinning a hundred words to his three that say, no, your feelings are, are wrong. And folks, this is, it, it's going to sound strange, but those of you that, even as you commit yourself to First Presbyterian Church through committees and different things like this, you, you do this, if, if this is the side of a, the coin that you fall. This is going to sound weird, but this is actually It's actually an obsession. So we, we, sit, we tend to think that those of us that project humility, and I'm not calling you all a bunch of obsessed, prideful people, but what I am saying is someone who is constantly saying, you know, man, I, I just don't have it. That is actually just keeping a mirror right here. And, and all you're saying is it's, it's actually a form of self-obsession. And I want to relieve you of that. I want to relieve you of that. And, and, and it's simply by reminding you of the gospel. Today, tomorrow, and the rest of your days, what is true is this. That all the insecurity that you feel, all the ways that you are sure that you're less than someone, Jesus has taken that insecurity, that sin upon himself. The verdict is in, child of God. You are free to live as you've been gifted. You're free. And I can tell you that. I try to tell students that eat week in and week out, but you'll know this to be true, that you have to be shown that by God himself. You do. You, you know, we don't come to Christ um, twi- uh, you know, screaming and kicking. We come because we've been wooed. We've been, we, we've been found out and not kicked away. The body of Christ needs chemistry And the first red flag, the first dysfunctional behavior is that some of its members begin to feel inferior. And the second is that some of its members begin to feel superior. Superior. They say, I don't need you. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or the hand to the feet, I have no need of you. Paul. He really doesn't give us a lot to talk about. On the contrary. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. He debunks that myth. He debunks it. And if you've ever been around uh, someone who, um, who could probably, you know, take a dose of humility uh, with their breakfast... Uh, if you've been around these people, and if you haven't, then there's a chance that you're that person. <laughs> people who say, I don't need you, end up alone. Arrogance is an isolating reality. And in the church, it's, it's deadly. Unlike those who, who say, I feel inferior, they still kind of stick around, but they, 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 they just slink everywhere. Those of, of you, those of me that feel like they are in fact better or more valuable, 
they will live a life in the church ostracized and probably perhaps even leave it. You see, the irony of, of, of the member of the body that says, I don't need you because you're weaker is that they themselves become weak. They atrophy. They, 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 they begin to, to lose the health, the nourishment. I mean, it's a very simple image. You look at the tree, and if it's not on the, you know, just as they read about the vine, if it's not there soaking in the nourishment that it needs, it will wither. Maybe you know the story um, of the late, great Douglas MacArthur, who became a legend as, as he led uh, the Pacific Front in World War II. Maybe you've heard then-President Eisenhower say MacArthur could never see another sun, or even a moon for that matter, in the heavens as long as he was the sun. You'll know that MacArthur's story keeps going, and he, he seeks to leverage that legacy and creates a mess out of the Korean War. And he and Truman just go at it. And now, what was going to be a life-giving uh, paragon of military expertise is, it's a mixed bag. You see, arrogant people begin to spiritualize their gifts, demonize other people, leaving the very body they've been called to develop chemistry upon. Finally, this, adaptive behavior. So we, we dysfunction in a couple ways, and, and one of the ways that we've been called to, to actually grow, to, to go to the gym, to, to develop, to drink in the water, the sun, this adaptive behavior, it happens here in verse 25. But there may no, be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. When this water line has been reached in a local expression of the church, you begin to hear people say, we care for each other. We care for each other. We also begin to hear the comments like, we need each other. We need each other. It's no longer a, a spotlight of shame or I'm the guy. But instead, it's like, no, no, no. You need to see how awesome this person is. You need to see that the gifts that God's given them is, is creating in us something much healthier than I could do on my own. Jesus speaks about this in John 13. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Maybe you know this. Did you know he's, he's talking to the church? I've always thought, like, love one another is an outward expression of love. That's how people will know who I am. He's talking to the, to the followers. The, the world, the outside world will know whose you are by the way you go toward one another. And that is what this adaptive behavior is all about. I think of this image of, of, uh, of just a school of fish. I don't know, bluefin tuna. Maybe you've seen these nature shows, and it's really a masterpiece that um, if, 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 if one fish over here is, has experienced something that stimulates it, they'll all move together, and they'll begin to sort of weave their way through the currents together. 
And it's, it's brilliant. And you see, when, when a community of faith, when, when First Presbyterian Church sees itself not as inferior and superior members, but those that have been gifted by God uniquely, called to express His Spirit to one another, that we begin to swim with efficiency. We begin to point out the good in the other instead of our own failures or successes because it's not about us. We begin to live healthily. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Just a quick note. We, we often look at, at gifts and, and we, we can confuse them with talents. And, and talents, though they can be uh, for, for a greater good, um, they're naturally not. <laughs> they're for you. And how you begin to express them, that's totally up to you. It takes training and repetition. Spiritual gifts, on the other hand, are, are not for you. You know, I, I think about our vocalists back here. It, it's not because they sing well that they're, they've been gifted by God to do it. It's because they, they're giving it to you. A short definition of our gifts is that we would, by God's power, we've been given abilities, okay? Abilities to meet the needs of others. That's what a spiritual gift is. In, in several sections of the scriptures, we see um, these different inventories are given, right? And, and I just want to quickly say that these are great places to turn to see where God may have gifted you, but it's important to kind of see them as, as like primary colors, all right? And that, that um, your gifting... Um, may or may not be precisely what's written on the page. But if you use this sort of baseline definition that your gifts are simply God's given ability to you to meet the needs of others. You think about what's important to make note of here. Um, Charles Spurgeon was a Baptist preacher in London, and you know he, he was incredible. I mean, he, one of the best orators you, you might ever hear. And J.R. Packer once said... <clears throat> the Canadian Anglican who died um, recently, he said he would have been prime minister if he weren't a preacher. See, he just had a natural gift. Like, he was just naturally born that way. So sometimes your gift matrix and your DNA will mix. They will. And they'll be enhanced, and then they'll be used for the whole tree. But other times, they, they won't be. And uh, you'll be able to do things that, that aren't, related to your natural ability. Finally, just by way of application, um, a lot of people, will, I feel like Tim and I will hear, like, how do we, how do we figure out um, what are my gifts? How do, I, how do I learn what they are? And simply put, I, I think they come in clusters. You've got these prophetic gifts like teaching and evangelism and, and these types of things. You've got your priestly gifts, which are compassion and your diaconate services, your mercy. And then you've got uh, your kingly gifts, you know, those are the people that can just get things done. And if you want to know what your gifts are, it doesn't come by just trying to figure out who you are. Think about how you move toward people. If after, way, after all, they're, they're simply uh, abilities given by God to meet the needs of other people, how, how do you relate to people? How do you find yourself in this church moving toward other people? There's, there's part of your gift set right there. We've been called to, to, to develop a chemistry that left to our own devices, we, we'd all seek to be little saplings. 
But the call of God on our life is, is, that, is that we would develop in our, in our branches, if you will, in our body, this desire to move the spotlight away from us and to shine it on other people. One of the videos this week, a quote from one of your members said this, when you find where God wants you to be, that is serving, that is how he's called you to, to, to live and, and express your gifts, it's like going home. Healthy branches, healthy branches are at home in their own skin, in their own bark, if you will. They understand that the verdict is in and that their life is hid in Christ. And, and, and in fact, in, in an ironic twist that is totally God, he intends to bestow more honor on those gifts that are unseen publicly than on these others. Where are you at today? Which side of that dysfunction do you find yourself falling on? May we all learn the adaptive behavior that we've been called to. The church early on uh, was, was trying to find a healthy way to describe the Trinity. It's really hard. You ever try to teach the Trinity to a kid? An egg, uh, you got the yolk, you got the... It's difficult. How, how do you talk about three in one, right? And they came up with this Greek word called perichoresis. You don't have to even remember that word. But what it means is this dance. That two or three people, for that matter, are, are, are moving toward one another with submission and service and sacrifice in perfect harmony, in perfect peace. See, our God in heaven, Jesus himself, left a body, the Godhead that was completely at peace with itself, with himself, chemistry that had been, uh, that had been developed and, and was perfect and, and, and it was excellent. And he left it to create division in himself so that we'd find wholeness, so that we would be brought back together, that we would experience the chemistry of God himself. Healthy branches understand their role. They don't shrink from it, and they don't lord it over people, but instead they give it away. In Jesus' name, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that You've given us ways to serve you. Forgive us for, for the ways that we have sought to use those for our own good. Would you push us out? Would you grow fruit through the branches of our life together? That we wouldn't see our, ourselves, that our gaze wouldn't be internal, but that it would be toward one another. Father, may it be so that the watching world of Thomasville would know us by our love for one another right here in this place. We ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you.